Hi guys, I'm Amy Honorado and you're listening to another DMN one-on-one podcast. I'm here with Carol Myers, the CMO of Boston-based security, cybersecurity firm Rapid7. Hi Carol, how are you? I'm great, how are you doing Amy? Good, good. So uh, today, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about how marketing teams play a role in the event of a cyber attack or, or a security breach. You know, this is something that's kind of been in the news, you know, fairly frequently lately, you know, with... Uh, the Equifax breach and, and with Yahoo a, a little while back. So it's it's important to kind of think about the role that marketing teams play and, and how they address the public and, and how they kind of talk to their customers in these sorts of events. Absolutely. So let's start from the beginning. Carol, in the event of a breach, you know, what's the first thing a company should be thinking about and, and kind of setting their wheels in motion for this? Great. That's a good question. Um, I think there's always sort of the technical side and then the communications and marketing side. And so obviously the technical people are thinking about making sure that they fully understand what happened, that they have certainly um, identified anything that's been affected, any data that's been affected, all of those things. And they're working hand in hand with the communications side to understand what's that impact to the business. How did it impact their customers or their employees or their partners if information about people was stolen? Um, So those two teams need to work really well together. And as soon as they know something might have affected the company's employees, partners, shareholders, anything, that's when they bring in the communication team. And the communication team starts to think about what's the best way to communicate out to stakeholders. And then the third leg though is bringing in legal because there are often legal implications. So is that something that I guess the marketing team, do they act as a liaison in that sort of scenario, kind of working with legal and kind of bringing all of the teams together as they put together a plan for this? Uh, That's a great question. In a lot of companies, there's sort of a breach response group and it might be led by different people. Sometimes it's actually led by the CISO who is thinking about all of those stakeholders. Usually the communications group is definitely wanting to make sure that the company is fulfilling any legal obligations, but then they're starting to think about not only what are legal requirements for communicating with anybody who might have been impacted, but also how does it fit with our brand? How should we be communicating based on who we are and what we believe in as a company? Absolutely, and that's that's a great point. And you know, there's a t- there's kind of different sort of ways if you think about addressing people. You have your customers, but there's also times when it may be a scenario where you have to kind of make a public statement and address everyone. Yes. So talk a little bit about that process and is there a difference between the way that you address the public and the way that you talk to people who do business with you and your customer base? Um, great question too. And it, there are sort of two parts to that. There is a legal part, and um, I'm not a legal expert, and I don't play one on TV. But there are there aren't that many requirements around going public on these things. Most of the requirements are around communicating with anyone who was impacted, and that could be one-on-one, via email, or however you want to do it. Um, And sometimes there are requirements in reporting a breach or an incident to the attorney general or people like that. But there aren't too many that say you actually have to go public with it. So the going public generally comes into play if it if it's so far reaching that the only way you can actually say you have fulfilled your obligation 
to um, customers or people who are impacted is by doing it publicly because there's no way you can reach each of them individually. Um, or very often companies will go public because it fits their brand. They want to be honest, they want to be very forthright about it, they want to make sure that anybody who might hear about it hears about it from them, and they want to come forward and share what happened to them. And some people also do it because they have a commitment to security and they want other people to be able to learn from what happened to them. I guess that sort of idea of staying on brand, that's very important. And, and with things that are sensitive in this nature, you know, there's a lot of kind of trust issues that could come from that, especially yes. when trust is compromised. So when thinking about staying on message and sort of maintaining brand trust, how do, you know, teams work together to kind of ensure that the pub let their message and their brand stays intact? Yes, and that's really where the marketing team comes in strongly is you know, we have to communicate what happened in a way that people can understand it. So you have to be careful to not be overly technical and then people go, I don't really understand <laughs> what happened. Um, so working with uh, the technical teams to understand what what is the impact? How might that impact our customers? So we're not only telling them it happened, but what does it really mean to you? Like, how might it impact your life? That's a lot of what people don't understand when there's a breach. And people will say, well, my credit card data wasn't stolen, so I'm good. And the truth is, if your credit card data is stolen, that's probably not a big deal. Um, credit card companies might not like me to say this, but they're liable, you're not. But what is risky for you is probably other information was associated with that that people can then use to steal your identity. And that's really where you start to become at risk as a person. As a person, And so companies need to think about, how do I explain that risk to my stakeholders in a way that they can understand it? And we need to talk about what we're doing to prevent it from happening in the future. And those are really big communications considerations, I think, for companies to think about. Right. And I guess kind of on the internal side when putting that together, you know, those two teams may not always be necessarily on the same page all the yes. time. They're on, they might sit in different departments on other sides of the building. So, you know, do you have any tips on kind of making those lines a little bit closer together and, and having like a more balanced kind of workflow? Yes. We recommend that people have a breach, that they have a breach response protocol and that includes bringing stakeholders from communications, bringing executives um, into the fold, bringing legal into the fold, and immediately convening those people together, whether it's physically or you know electronically, but in a way that they can all be educated about what's happened, talk about next steps, agree on approaches, because you also have to make sure anything you're sharing publicly has been blessed by your legal team. Uh, because there are certain legal ramifications that you need to be careful of and all of those kinds of things. So, and you should test it. You know, you should pretend something happens and see how easy it is or hard it is to come together. Um, we ourselves, you know, do this all the time. And for us, it's not always, it's not necessarily a breach, but because of the industry we're in, when big vulnerabilities happen, as just happened um, with some of the Intel products, we immediately pull that team together and talk about, does it impact our products and services? Um, if so, what do we need to do about it? Um, as a security company, what can we help our customers with? And that is all of those teams coming together uh, to talk about what we can do, who's doing what, 
and then executing on that plan and reporting back on a regular basis. So very important to practice that stuff. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And I guess, you know, the marketing teams as well, like they handle data and they work with data all the time on their campaigns and, and things like that. And I guess how can marketers be thinking about maybe even the way that they collect that data or things that they should be doing within their own sort of protocols to make sure that they're kind of on par with, with security and compliance as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, one of the things we've seen with SaaS solutions is that marketers are going out and buying things on their own, and that's fine. It helps them be nimble, but if it ever involves collecting or storing any customer data or data really of any kind, they really need to be partnering with their IT and security teams to make sure that the solutions that they're selecting are meeting security requirements and that the way that they're integrating and using them is going to keep that data safe and apply with regulation. So if you're doing anything with uh, retail or credit card data, you've got PCI. If you're in healthcare, you've really got to make sure you're not running afoul of any HIPAA. There's now GDPR. So I think marketers always working really hand in hand with their security teams is incredibly important. Um, to making sure they're doing the right things. And the, building the relationship that way is going to help if there is an incident of some sort, because now you have two people who really know and understand each other and can work together on the communications. And are there, you know, with your experience kind of working with teams, you know, are there any sort of issues that you see where the two teams might come to a disagreement or come to a head and kind of need to figure out what the best practices are? Yes. <laughs> yes. And in fact, you know, it happens even in our business uh, because we tend to be very secure. So we'll often find tools that we want to use in marketing because they're the latest and greatest and hippest new thing. And we'll be like, we want to use this new tool. And our security team will say, that's from a really small company and they're great, but they don't have the security standards in place that we need to meet. And we get really bummed and we talk about it. Um, but usually what'll happen is they'll then try to help us find something that will meet our business need, but also be secure enough. And so we generally concede <laughs> if it doesn't quite meet their security standards, because we don't actually want to be the cause of any problems. But yeah, there can definitely be disagreements about that for sure. That's an interesting point that you that you bring up too, you know, as brands, like maybe from that sort of tech platform standpoint, you know, if you're talking with brands and trying to make deals, what kind of things should they be thinking about to ensure that they're providing the securities that some some companies may demand? Yeah, that it's really important, especially with SaaS. So there are um, a number of things that they can adhere to, like SOC and SOC 2, um, which are different standards for security. And they should be looking at things like that and NIST and all these other things um, and making sure that their security is meeting those standards. And then one of the things that we do and other good companies do as well is create a trust site so people can come explore what kind of security you do offer, what your um, stances on security, and get a better sense of where it stacks in your priorities. And making that and being very transparent about it can really help people feel more comfortable adopting your tools, for sure. Absolutely, absolutely. It kind of touches on <laughs> both ways, because even you know for SaaS, that could be a marketing point as well, like being yes. able to place themselves as we're compliant, we can offer what you need as far as implementing into into the stack. Um, 
my guess just just sort of in general, are there things, you know, as these new sort of GDPR and other compliances move forward, um, and as people are kind of becoming more aware and, and data collection is becoming more prevalent, are there things that marketers and, and teams should kind of be looking out for or kind of on the forefront about, you know, as things progress? Yes, I think, you know, there's the rules, and then again, it comes down to your brand and what you want to stand for, and, and generally, it's good practices if not to collect data you're really not going to use in a way that's value add for the customer if you don't need it don't collect it if you're not going to use it in a way that's beneficial don't collect it because now you have data that you are the shepherd and responsible for and you're not even using it and you've, you've taken up their time and you you've asked them to give you something so that's a, a really important standard for people to think about and they and i think in general thinking about making sure regardless of what the laws may say, that you think about um, permissions and what people want and giving them that ability to always change their mind about what data they want you to have and how they want you to interact with them. I think those two things are really important. Yeah, and and a, in regards to kind of permissions, so you know companies do that in a lot of different ways and I know with, with GDPR there's mm. different sort of standards and how that is collected right you know what what do you think the kind of best practices are for that like yeah. banners or maybe a privacy policy or something along those lines yeah it's gonna be very interesting because GDPR I think raises the bar and a lot of people sort of feel like well I'm not a European company so I don't need to worry about it but most of us uh, if we have any global practice are collecting data about people who probably live in Europe and as soon as you are, that probably becomes your default. <laughs> so it, it's got a pretty high standard in terms of people um, not, you know, not defaulting. Hey, you did this, so you automatically are giving me your permission, but getting explicit permission. So I think more and more, a lot of us as marketers have moved to that idea of we're not going to check a box. We're actually going to say to you, here's what we're collecting. And if you agree to this, please say, I agree to this. And, and I think that's becoming the standard. And then you should absolutely have a privacy policy and there are a lot of regulations around that as well. Do you think just that's something that consumers think, just from a branding standpoint, that consumers are responsive and receptive to as well, like giving sort of a, a preface of transparency there? I think they like it. I think in the US, um, it's interesting, I think, sometimes people see that as an annoyance <laughs> because I think in the U.S. people are very accustomed to this idea of I give you stuff and in return I'm getting more targeted marketing, I'm getting better advertising, I'm getting convenience and convenience is such a huge factor in the U.S. that for some people I think in the U.S. this might be seen as almost a negative like oh you're asking me to actually take an action and affirm that I want to engage with you. So I do think some companies may uh, take that into account and try to differentiate between people in the U.S. and people in other countries if they can, because for some people, convenience rules. Fantastic. Um, that was great. And, you know, there's a lot of things I think to think about as, as things go forward, especially as GDPR kind of rolls in later this year. So lots to kind of look at. Um, on the horizon. But I want to thank you uh, for joining us today. And um, thank you guys for tuning in. This has been another one of our DMN 101 podcasts. See you guys next week.